0: Dedication and expertise goes a long way. We, we really eat our own dog food. And just like we preach that our company should keep laser focused and do one thing really, really well, so do we in the sense that we will absolutely not invest in anything other than B2B SaaS with a leading product at the scale up stage. So that, that's really all we do. And you know we're not making any pretence that we're great at doing other stuff, but we think we're pretty good at doing that. And I think that comes across in our dialogue with teams.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by Talk, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, Mikael Johnson, a general partner at uh, OX Ventures. Welcome, Mikael.
0: Thanks, Alex. It's a pleasure to be on the show.
1: Great to have you. Uh, where, I see are you, you in an office.
0: Uh, it's unusual I, for me to have guests in an office at the moment. I am actually in our very brand new office in Stockholm, okay. um, so we are sort of flexibly going back to office, uh, doing one, two, three, four, five days a week. There's only three of us here in the Stockholm office. And we're all pretty close-knit so you know we're trying to you know keep to the small group as possibly we can we're not doing a lot of in-person meetings to be fair Uh, but going to the office it seems to be a good thing for everyone's mental health at this point
1: yeah it's that's interesting Um, like definitely you know it's been a long six months it's been a difficult year um, there are obviously many companies and big corporations and small corporations who said, hey, look, you know, we're all going to work from home until, you know, summer 2021. Um, and I think initially uh, a lot of us were uh, like actually quite interested and quite excited about this sort of idea and say, well, we don't need an office. But certainly what we're finding in my organization, the people that we speak to. Is that from a mental health perspective? I mean, people are meet, missing other people. They're feeling a bit trapped. You know, a little bit lonely. They're you know working extremely long hours. Um, they're missing the office and the interaction and the engagement. Um, and, and there is a there is a split. I'm seeing of people that they're not quite ready to go back yet, and there are people that are very ready uh, to go back. And I'm probably in the middle.
0: Uh, yeah. At- it's interesting for us, you know, we have offices in London and in Stockholm, and I think it's, it's, you know, people in Stockholm and Sweden in general, compared to the UK, are probably more leaning towards, let's just, you know, get back to, you know, normal, whatever normal looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that there, there's a slight, sh- uh, you know, difference in that. The one thing that I will say, though, that, you know, I do, I have been missing the office and stuff, but what I've not been missing is the travel. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I don't think we're going to go back there. It's like I can easily half all of my international travel yeah. instead of going to the us you know ten times a year, I can do that four or five times a year. Yeah. Uh, going to the u k or other parts of Europe maybe twice a month, I can do that you know once a month or less than that. So you know there's a lot of things I've learned that I honestly never thought you could deal with over video like this or over the phone. Yeah. Uh, but then, obviously, you've also learned which things you absolutely cannot deal with. And those can, things get pushed out now, which is a bit frustrating.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting. Maybe come, come back to that in terms of what you can do uh, sort of remotely later in terms of uh, investing in founders without meeting them
0: in in person. I'll spoil the, the, the surprise. And, you know, we've actually made our first investment where we haven't met the team physically. Okay. Had you asked me six months ago, I would say, no way! Absolutely not going to happen. We've done it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And I I'm I, I, that's the second time I've heard that this week, but I'm sure it's becoming much more commonplace.
0: So, it's a, tell us a little bit
1: about yourself. Obviously, I know that you're you're in Stockholm and you general partner at Adox. Um, what what else? Uh, like, who are you as a, as a person? Um, you know, what are your sort of credentials?
0: Uh, yeah. On? I'm. Uh, I, I usually tell people I was born and raised in venture. I've, I've spent uh, you know 20 21 years investing in venture companies uh, out of the Nordics here. I started my career uh, with a local firm here called Investor Growth Capital, which was really a subsidiary of a large public investment company called Investor AB, which is the main investment vehicle of the Wallenberg family, who are sort of the Rockefellers of the Nordics. Uh, They are the very long-term shareholders in some of the very large, uh, these days, international businesses such as Ericsson, AstraZeneca, Atlas Basically, very large companies that were once founded in Sweden today are global behemoths. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they had a venture operation where I spent uh, the better part of 11 to 12 years. Uh, investing initially in, I guess, broader tech, probably a little bit earlier stage. As of 2005, more towards, you know, what we refer to today as scale up or growth stage. Uh, increasingly focusing in and narrowing that down towards software uh, which then became SaaS so for the last 10-12 years I've really only invested in SaaS at the scale-up stage.
1: Okay and, and, and is this exclusively in, in Stockholm, is it Europe,
0: uh, uh, US companies as well? Is it yeah. coming flatter uh, too? So I think, you know, at, at Investor Growth Capital, we had a fairly sizable operations. There were 35 people of us, uh, you know, investment professionals plus support staff in, in offices uh, in Stockholm, New York, Menlo Park, Hong Kong, and Beijing. So that was a global operation. We had hundreds of companies, uh, about 100 companies in the portfolio, uh, net asset value of around a billion euros. So that, that was a big operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal background is that I've been doing business. Here in the Nordics, in the UK, and to some extent in the US. The, the sort of stage and, and sectors where we invest, there's, there tends to be a very natural commercialization path towards the US and increasing gravitating, gravitating towards the US for these companies. So I've, I've spent a fair amount of time over there.
1: And, and, and so uh, BC and is that the correct pronouncer, Is it OX?
0: And what does the OXX stand for? Uh, <laughs> so th- th- this this is an interesting question that I've answered a lot. And it's th- there are many different stories around this. I think the one that tends to hold in all circumstances is that it was a very short uh, word where there was an available domain and which didn't have anything like venture partners capital partners or anything like that we wanted to do something that was different uh then there is a more like lengthy convoluted uh uh, story that you know i I don't i don't even know if it's true anymore to be honest with you but that's you know we tell ourselves that's how we ended up there but I'll, i'll tell you that one over a beer sometime
1: Okay, good. So I
0: look forward to that. Uh, and and uh, what sort of stage of companies uh,
1: are you investing in? Uh, at- yeah,
0: so we are a, you know, we're, we're a very, very niche firm. We invest in B2B SaaS and B2B SaaS only and absolutely, absolutely nothing but B2B SaaS. We do that at a very particular stage of a company's journey and development, which we refer to as the scale-up stage. So that means companies that have a product in the market, they have an initial customer base. They have a weed referred to as product market fit. And they're starting to show signs of scalability and ability to actually take this and build something much more scalable and predictable. They're not there yet where you know, the very large growth firms of the world would consider them, but they're getting towards that place. And without exception, these companies will have a very strong product, which has a global appeal. And the ability to define a category at global scale, so so we, we do have high aspirations and ambitions in that sense that we don't back companies that we think can be local or regional leaders. It it has to be companies with a global scalability. Okay.
1: Um, so as you mentioned, you're only investing in companies that they, that they have something that they found product market fit. Um, can you share some of these examples of these companies that have, uh, you know, they've found product market fit and how, how
0: they've gone about uh, getting there? Yeah, I mean, so, so most B2B SaaS companies, they will go through some iterations before they find what we refer to as product market fit. And that has a lot to do with experimenting around product, how they think about and segment the market and the customers how they present and package their value proposition and the messaging, uh, what types of buyer personas they are targeting uh, with their product and messaging. Uh, And and there's just lots of different things that people iterate around, and sometimes they even have to pivot to to get to the right place. The one general thing that seems to hold true for all companies that get to product market fit is that it's a lot easier to do that if you keep a narrow and tight focus not being too broad. I think the general sin that people do is trying to do too much at the same time. So you, you don't become sharp enough. You don't solve a very particular need 10 times better than a money anybody else does. So that would be the one thing I say is the common theme in the companies that we see that have product market fit. They decide to do one thing and they do that thing really, really, really well before they then decide to start to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. That, that means they will typically have a team of founders who understand the market they're operating extremely well because they understand the pain points of the customer uh, and the problem that the customer has, which they're addressing. And that can take, I mean, again, I've, I've seen
1: and heard of companies that found product market fit very quickly. Uh, and in some cases, in well-known cases, you know, it, it's taken a couple of years, you know, for companies to kind of find there. And I think even uh, recently uh, uh, I saw or yesterday sort of read about MailChimp it taking them a couple of years. Right. And uh, look where they're at now. Um, um, but what is, uh, you, you know, finding product market fit? And obviously there's a lot of talk about that um, and different interpretations of what product market fit uh, is. But I think uh, a, a lot of people you know, end up on the same page. Uh, but you you guys are also going to work with companies that have, you know, business model market fit. Uh, so can you, um, it, I, it sounds like I know what this is, but, but can you elaborate on, on what that might be? So I'm sure there's,
0: there's some stuff deeper there uh, beyond uh, the description. Yeah, no. So obviously I think, you know, at this stage where we invest, we will invest in companies that have product market fit, which means they have a product in the market that has some mileage on it. So it works. They have an initial customer base. And they've proven that they can sell it to people, right? They haven't necessarily proven their ability to do that at a scale or very profitably or very rationally, right? So that's where I think the evolution from product market fit to business model market fit comes in. Now, at the stage we amassed, you know, the, I, I think the golden standard of a business model market fit for a SaaS company would be companies that can show you a very strong lifetime value to CAC ratio. I mean, that's the golden standard that everybody throws around there. But at the point where we're investing, honestly, the LTV to CAC ratio often doesn't mean very much because there's, there's so many things that are in flux as you try to scale. You may be entering new markets. You may be entering new verticals. You may be introducing completely new sets to your product. You may be expanding the user base with new user personas, et cetera. All of these things will greatly affect you know what sort of pricing you can have and therefore the lifetime value and it will also impact you know what sort of churn rates are you going to see uh, in the end so we tend to focus on things which are we believe the leading indicators of business model market fit and that tends to be things like very strong net revenue retention, companies that have a steadily growing annual contract value so you can see how customers are buying more over time that they have some sort of capital efficient means of acquiring customers. Uh, the one we usually look at is the CAC payback ratio, uh, which is obviously a lot simpler than ltv to cac um, They have a sharp go-to-market focus, coming back to what I said earlier, that they are very specific of what they do and what they don't do. Uh, they have invest, and therefore they can invest in scalable demand generation. This this is one of the um, you know most common flaws we see with companies that have a sort of regional establishment and then they want to grow outside of their home region. They've sort of sold on talent and personal networks and a little bit of charm in their home market, but they haven't thought about how can we scale that as we move into bigger markets uh, where we don't have these you know networks. And you know that's that that's a very common theme that we see that. They haven't invested in scalable demand generation. Uh, And there's also the the part about sales specialization. Companies that are going through the scale up stage towards more of the the profitable growth stage tend to go through a specialization in your sales force. So you have people who specialize whether that's inbound or outbound, whether that is SME or enterprise, whether that is direct or channel, but you tend to have specialization that brings predictability around the whole sales machine. So those are some of the things we will look for when we tend, you know, look for emerging signs of business model market fit.
1: Uh, understood. And um, you, you know, one thing that I'm sort of curious about is, is that there are probably, certainly, hundreds of investors in Europe that are looking at B two B SaaS, um, maybe not uh, exclusively, uh, but it, but it's something that they look at. And then, obviously, globally, you know, thousands of investors, but even more startups, right? Um, uh, and often there there is um, you know there's a bit of a, a, a fight and uh, you know a competition between VCs for, for certain uh, startups and funds and um, I'm just curious to know like how you you know operate in terms of you know finding deal flow uh, and then you know closing down those deals and fighting off the competition.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it is a competitive market, like you say. The most interesting companies will have a choice of investors to work with, and I think. The, the the thing that you you I think you were onto to when you mentioned um uh was it MailChimp or Sendgrid? It was Sendgrid, right? MailChimp, MailChimp, Oh, MailChimp, sorry, yeah. Yeah. So I mean not all companies grow the same path towards success, right? There's there's many different ways to build a successful company. And I think if you're a you know early stage SaaS, you have great traction, you have found your niche. You're raising tons of money, and you're just killing it, and you're going, you know, you're going going through to the to the high stakes. There, you know, there, there there's there are those companies. Most of them, though, have a little bit more of a bumpy road, particularly initially when it comes to finding that product market fit phase. I think what we like to do is fish for companies and teams that really fundamentally understand how to solve a particular problem, but don't necessarily have the, you know fantastic traction very, very early on, but have, you know, pivoted their way around or have iterated their way around to find something that's really taking off. And that tends to be a part of the market that is less fished by most VCs. Uh, most VCs tend to have apply a model which says, if you're not growing at, you know, triple, 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 double, double, uh, you're not interested. Uh, we we don't subscribe to that. We think there are many different ways to build a very interesting company. That's not to say we don't want to grow fast. We absolutely do, but we think it's equally viable to do double, 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 double double, and just you know keep going as the numbers become bigger. So I think you know we, we'll look at some companies where we have conviction around product and team that may not get a lot of attention from other VCS. Uh, there are other situations where we will be, I guess, more flexible in terms of how we think about, you know, size of investment and stage, you know, we, we've been reasonably successful in doing what we call the series A and a half. So that means backing very successful companies that have been very successful early on, but they've raised an A round, which is not sufficient to take them towards that really big international B round. Uh, where we would do something in between to help them get to that part. Um, so, you know, you know Funnel is a good case in point. Uh, they, they raised uh, $10 million in their A round. Uh, we did, together with the inside owners, we did another $10 million extension to that, you know, a year later on. And then, you know, a year from that, they raised $47 million in a B round. So that, those type of situations as well, where where I think some firms that did not get involved very early Will tend to look past that because they think it's either too late or there isn't a you know sufficient available check for that. How I mean, how are these company, how are you
1: getting involved in the deals? Let's say, like with Funnel, for instance. You know, is it another VC firm brings you in? You meet the founders at a conference. Uh, you get a cold email.
0: Like, uh, what, what about in in this example as a as a case study? If you happen to yeah. Be- Funnel is a peculiar case in point because I was the chairman of that company for five years and I'm an angel investor. So that's kind of cheating. That's kind of cheating a little bit. But there's another company, unfortunately I can't disclose the name because we recently yeah. closed the investment where you know it's a fairly similar type of dynamic and situation. That one we honestly found through thematic sector research, going out targeting 10 to 12 different companies Looking at you know where would we like to invest, and we found this very particular one, and there was a situation where we could do that. And I think, you know, at least as far as I perceive it, the reason they opened up for us was because they were convinced by our you know conviction and how we had done our homework really. Okay,
1: uh, and then you've you've got uh, you're, you're reviewing a pitch deck. Um, uh, you know, somebody's emailed you a pitch deck or a VC is you in, into that company the leading indicators that you're looking for, um, you know, for you to kind of make that investment, what are they?
0: Yeah. So obviously it is really important that you can show strong top line growth. Uh, you know, we're more concerned about MRR ARR than actual PL revenue. Right. But th- that that's not where we start. And I think that possibly makes us a little bit different from other people who are investing slightly later stage, right. Rather than early stage that we, we, we tend to focus on people who have a very clear vision on what problems to solve and why it's important to solve that, uh, where they have a differentiated value proposition that is tangibly significantly better than other alternatives. And as I said, with the global appeal, uh, where there's a team that's uniquely positioned to actually go after that opportunity and really understanding that challenge and who built a state-of-the-art product, honestly. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's lots of people with good ideas, but who can't build product. Uh, there's actually a lot of people who can build good product but don't have a brilliant idea either, right? So it's finding that, you know, you know that that fit between the two categories there. And then obviously applying a lens of, you know, substantial underlying growth to that. But it's well, really about, you know, what's the problem you're trying to solve and what's the product you've built to actually address that?
1: Yeah. And what's the, like, in terms of, uh, we talk about, like, top-line growth and um, what sort of, rapid like MRR ARR growth is, is catching
0: your eye and I guess depending on you know the stage of the company where they're at yeah I mean we'll we'll invest you know the, the companies we've invested in and back they, they range from probably two to three million dollar ARR up to 10-15 million dollar ARR if, if you're below I would say five million or something like that it's definitely more than a hundred percent this most recent thing we did is actually one that is below 5 million. They're growing at 170% annual growth, right? Uh, Funnel was similar uh, at the time. It was about 5 million growing 150, 160%. If you're sort of between 5 and 10 million, we're probably going to look for 50 to 100%. And I will qualify that by saying if you're only (laughs) growing 50%, We would look at different cohorts to understand which cohorts are scaling more rapidly than other ones. That's actually quite an interesting exercise to do on many accounts because that will tell you a lot about where you have true business model market fit as well and where you should probably double down on your sales and marketing spend. So a company that grows 50% at the headline may be growing significantly faster in certain cohorts or, or target customer bases. So you found you found a company with the right metrics um, and,
1: uh, you know, you want this deal uh, uh, with this company. and Maybe, as uh, you say, the, the one that you've just cl- closed this deal. You know, what makes them choose you over, you know, the other
0: VCs out there? Yeah, so this, <laughs> it's really not a question for me, to be honest. I mean, I'd, I'd, I would prefer entrepreneurs who will be back to, to answer that. But and you know, obviously, like most other people, we have some great endorsements on our websites and in our pitch decks. But, but if you are putting me on the spot and if I have to come up with something, I, I think dedication and expertise goes a long way. We we really eat our own dog food. And just like we preach that our company should keep laser focused and do one thing really, really well, so do we in the sense that we will absolutely not invest in anything other than B2B SaaS with a leading product at the scale-up stage. So that, that's really all we do. And you know we're not, Making any pretense that we're great at doing other stuff, but we think we're pretty good at doing that, and I think that comes across in our dialogue with teams. Uh, there's also the experience and credibility of having done this for a very long period of time, where you know the founding partners have more than 20 years investing experience in the relevant sector and stage, and hopefully uh, chemistry and culture, uh, we, where we we like to build partnerships with the companies that we back, uh, and we we try to behave really well and, and build karma out there in the market. So hopefully that is something that people will appreciate as well.
1: We've been hearing lots this year at SaaS.Conferences and, and others that have been speaking to about long-term sustainable growth and growth over efficiency. Um, what does it mean to you and what should companies be looking
0: to do to achieve this? Yeah, this, this is another thing it's a, that we're pretty passionate about because like we discussed earlier, I mean, there are many different ways to build a successful company. It, t- it tends to be that people uh, lend lend themselves a lot towards the Silicon Valley model, triple, 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 you know, grow, just growing as fast as you can. And, and make, make no mistake about it, we all want to grow as fast as we possibly can because it is a race out there, there is a market window. If you've done something great, you want to get out there, you want to create value as fast as you possibly can. I think the challenge arises when you're blowing too much hot air into the balloon at the same time, right? And, and what happens is, when you you grow so fast that you can't scale quickly enough and you start cutting corners and you do not listen sufficiently to your customers and what they're actually telling you, you accumulate a mountain of product debt, you don't have time to develop the people internally, you run your staff into the ground with exhaustion. That, those are the sort of things that happen to some companies that are trying to you know, stress growth at all costs. And I think many people are starting to question that. Uh, And I think what what we tend to preach is that if you've been in the market for a number of years, especially if you've been on a tight budget, there will be some foundational gaps that you need to plug if you really want to build a proper house, so to say, right? So you need to do some structural work If you want to build, you know, add a number of floors to that building, Uh, and that can be things around product, organization, culture, pricing, overall architecture, whatever. But usually, we find when we deal with companies that there are some foundational gaps, and what we like to do is to start by plugging those gaps to facilitate longer-term growth without, you know, breaking the car, Uh, and and that's something that. With the right entrepreneurs where we're a good fit, that's an easy discussion, right? Because we are, we're all there. And even if that means we're going to have to spend money and time on some things that are not contributing to the top line in the next six months, that is what's going to allow you to build top line for the next 36, 48, 54 months, whatever, right? And doing that at the right time, I think is so critical. It's like doing maintenance on a machine. If you, if you run the machine at 100%, it's going to break sooner or later, right? Taking that down to 90 over a short period of time to do some maintenance, you can just go hard at it again.
1: So a a good segue, uh, whilst we're talking about the companies and the businesses there and sort of doing maintenance of the machine, but we always ask our guests, you know, at the end, how they stay healthy and sane and how they maintain uh, their machine. Uh, So what what is your way? How how do you stay healthy and sane, especially like, you know, this year? How, How have you been doing that?
0: Yeah, no, so the health part is I go to the gym, uh, I work with a personal trainer a couple of times a week uh, to get the weights sessions in, and I, I do some running as well. I find that very meditative. I I, I really enjoy the running piece. Uh, keeping sane uh, is about finding the humorous side of most situations. Uh, there's <laughs> there's a lot of things to get frustrated about when you're part of building companies and, you know, the path is never a straight one. So but finding the humor in that, in those situations uh, and and drinking lots of wine, uh, I think that's not a good thing. Same, to be honest, I also do some um, football coaching for twelve year old boys, and they'll they'll definitely force you to be there and then, uh, and you know, forgetting everything about work, which is a good mental exercise. Awesome,
1: awesome. Well, I, I love all of those things. Um, uh, in what particular order? Maybe the drinking wine. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but it's been fantastic speaking to you, uh, Michael Johnson. We'll, we'll obviously be seeing uh ox uh at sas.me online in um in october uh and hopefully uh in person you know at some point in 2021 uh we do hope uh, as well but thanks so much for being uh, a great guest uh, on the sas revolution show today
0: thanks alex my pleasure
1: thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the sas revolution show I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming sasdoc conferences around the world.